it's important to know how good is good enough. And it's a part of the problem is we've all been told if you want something done right, do it yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then they make the point like, uh, not only is that not true, but it's also a recipe for a miserable life. And that's totally true. That your top producers want to be with other top producers. And when they see the bottom, you know, uh, whatever, that's, that sounds extreme. But, you know, the less uh, lower performing mm-hmm. individuals getting coddled or rewarded not being held accountable um that angers them and many times it ends up one of the reasons that they churn well the way that i would evaluate that as a larger corporation and to some degree i'm trying to apply this now at digital as we grow is challenge each hire question each hire from a profitability standpoint and i know that might you know for some people be a bit of a turnoff it's like and we're not turning this company truly into, you know, uh, where we're consumed by one thing, which is EBITDA or profit. But welcome to the Digital Digital Dudes podcast. Man, I whiffed on that last time too. Did you? Yeah, when we had um, the guest, the NAA gives. Mm. I just we're just. That's what do you I'm, credit that to? Because I'm saying we're out of practice. You can't so, say no. sleep because you told me that. Griffin's been sleeping through through the night, so yeah, you have to figure out something else. Yeah, no, not sleep. I think I just don't say our name often enough. Also, <laughs> diggable. It's definitely easier to get get that done. Yeah. Diggable dudes David Reed with the diggable dudes. Yeah. <laughs> well, today we're uh, we're doing an episode on letting go of the vine. So that's the that's what EOS calls it, uh, which is uh, man, I should have looked this up ahead of time. But it's sort of like elevate and delegate. But you just have to you have to like delegate things so that you can elevate yourself to do work on other things, but then you have to let go of the things you have delegated. And that's something that as we continue to get more middle management and then even, you know, executive leadership, we've all been, I guess, challenged with doing. Um, I, the first exposure I really had this starting to elevate and delegate and then letting go was as I went on paternity, paternity leave, as you talk about Griffin. And I felt like that was, that worked for me at the time because it's like, I was committed to not logging into anything during that those uh those couple months i was out uh and then when i came back i felt like okay cool i've been off all these email chains nothing waiting for me so i'm like i i was able to like stay out of it but then after about six weeks i started to get pulled into these i got sucked back into the the gravitational pull of some of these things um but i've you know since then been working hard to like recommit myself to like letting go and and putting up my own blockers but um yeah, I, I just know that this is something that's hitting all of all of our leadership at the moment, and I'm sure it applies to many of the audience. So that's the topic. Yeah, and i just going to say I don't think EOS coined the phrase letting go of the vine. No? Um, well, no. I'm not saying coined it, no. but th- isn't okay. that what they say? Yeah, I think they put it a few different ways. Elevate and delegate, isn't that the like actually in the that's book? That's the tool. Okay. Um, I was going to give Socrates credit for that one. <laughs> I think it's been around that long, but, um, yeah, it is definitely hitting us hard right now. Um, and as you said, I think a lot of people that listen to this can, can empathize with that. And in some cases, you know, cause something that's also, uh, an ongoing discussion, I feel like with our own clients and here at Digible is, um, you know, the in-source versus outsource and that factors into this whole, uh, equation to me of elevate and delegate because there's points where, you know, it's not as simple as just, okay, do I let somebody here at Digible take that on? Do I take that on? The other option there is is, is an outsourced option. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's kind of the third option there on um, 
do I take it? Does my direct report take it? Do I need to find somebody outside of the company to take it? And how do I think about that? What does that mean? What does that say, I guess, about, you know, potentially, uh, you know, your organization or, uh, you know, the, the leaders that you're trying to develop. So, um, yeah, where do you want to, where do you want to jump in? Well, on this one? I'll correct one thing. EOS says, even if it is outsourced, it you should still have the same expectations. If you remember, so you should still have an accountability chart seat. It should still be clear what expectations are and you can't give an excuse like, well, they're part-time. And so we don't expect as good. Like mm-hmm, instead, it's mm-hmm. like, you got to define how good you need. And that's a, uh, I pull, I did pull up the EOS um, quote. So they do say that um, letting go of the vine is, is their elevate and delegate. And then I thought this is really interesting. They said, it's important to know how good is good enough. And they said, part of the problem is we've all been told if you want something done right, do it yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then they make the point like, uh, not only is that not true, but it's also a recipe for a miserable life. And that's totally true. We saw that from the Dan Martell's book when, when we were reading that. And he, and he talks about how good is good enough. So maybe that's a good place to start. Like, as you've tried to delegate things, have you been able to settle on something? Or if not, then, you know, what immediately comes to mind? Is it a percentage of good enough? Because, you know, many people say is 80% good enough. And I think Dan Martell says like 80% um, is a hundred percent awesome. I think that was his quote where he's like, just try to think about it. You can do so much more if you finally get rid of that stuff, but you have to accept that it's not going to be as good. I, I wouldn't know how to identify the 80%, you know, so for me, you know, I manage the majority of the executive team here. And so if I were to think that way, I'll just pick on, uh, our beloved Ryan, you know, who runs finances, uh, cause we were just having a conversation. I know he wouldn't care me sharing this, uh, with a company called Pilot that does a lot of outso- outsourced like CFO work. Um, and that's that's where he's headed. You know, that's where we want him to be. Um, and so if I were to say, I just need him to get 80% there, um, it's such a big universe, like our finances. And and that's probably on the smaller side compared to some of those other core functions that we have. And so I think if you're going to take that mental approach, you know, you better be pretty equipped to, to size that. Um, and not everything's equally important. So it's like, would I rather have somebody be 50% effective with what's most important versus 80% effective at, you know, everything? Probably so. Um, Cause that's the realities of the business right now. It's like not all areas of, of his responsibility are, are tantamount, you know, um, there's parts right now that are really crucial. And there's also stuff, however, that someone that he, you may not get, he may not get credit for if you're like, okay, is Ryan doing the P and L 80% of what you would have done, but he's doing, because he's fo- dedicated to finance, he's doing things that you never would have done or never sure. did do. Right. Yeah. So I feel like when we think about the 80% or whatever it is, I, you often forget about the things that weren't getting done otherwise. And mm-hmm. it's not like that adds on to say like, okay, yes, the PL is 80% as you would have strategized, but it's really 150% because of all the other stuff he's taken on. True. True. Yeah. It's the opportunity cost as we say. And that's also something that's interesting. I don't know um, in this scenario of elevate and delegate, how you really size that. I know with the Dan Martell book, uh, is it Martelli or Martell? Martell. Martell. Yeah. He, you know, tries to get it down to like what your value is at an hourly rate, you know, to the organization. Is that mm-hmm. the best way to think about opportunity cost? Mm-hmm. Cause I don't even know if that fully like captures it, you know, meaning 
me doing the PNL versus Ryan? Mm -hmm. Is it a strictly hourly equation? Um, Cause you have to think about what value would I be adding? Not just mm -hmm. what is my salary like, you know, prorated at. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. However, I, I think the hourly rate was one thing that helped it click for me in Dan's book versus I wasn't getting out of EOS because it's just like, don't do $20 an hour tasks. You're basically, Dan says, you're basically taking money from the organization at that point because you could be doing something else that's right. providing hundreds of dollars of value. And so that helped me frame it to say like that this morning in our meeting when I'm trying to get the iPad reconnected to the Zoom TV, it's like, never mind, this is not david's greatest addition so like forget the forget the it support <laughs> right however there are to your point like there are certain things that um well i guess you still have to get okay with back to the pnl strategy like it just wouldn't be done the same way you're going to do it but you have to accept it because it allows you to do other things that you can be additive for so i guess that's where i'd want to take it next is um one uh how um um well how do we get settled with that personally and also help other people get settled with that? Cause I also see first time managers struggling with this as much as sure. much as executive, like they're letting go of accounts. It's often worse. Yeah. Cause yeah. it's their first time and they want to help and do everything mm -hmm. and it's what makes them feel good and important. Mm -hmm. And then I totally empathize with that. It doesn't, even though it's been years and years, I, I can remember those first couple in management and you walk in the door and you have, six people rush up to you and they all have problems and you yeah. just can't wait to help solve those. Yeah. But then the next thing you know, those start to compound mm -hmm. over you know the coming days, the coming weeks, and then it's out of control. Mm -hmm. um, whereas at least, and maybe to a fault for me, you know, I give a ton of autonomy and trust because I, you know, using the phrase that I was told not to use, but I don't want to be babysitting, mm -hmm. you know, to me, if you're going to be a, at a director of vice president level, certainly at a C-suite level, then I shouldn't be having to spend that much time mm -hmm. with you. Um, but that can backfire as well. Back mm -hmm. to like, what is the, the right percentage, uh, or I guess, approach to letting go of the vine. And in the last week, I was just telling you, you know, because of this, you know, kind of rough patch we're going through getting to, you know, the proverbial next level, you know, I'm, I'm resetting you know, with several of our uh, opcom players and just saying, okay, what, what is appropriate? You know, what should you know? What should I let go of? Let's just make sure that we're on the same page here and then try to get to that simple number that we always talk about that this ultimately gets down to. Because I could still get caught up in, you know, some detail that I shouldn't or strategy that I shouldn't if, if, uh, if I'm not simplifying it to just one or two like main outcomes that I'm, I'm aiming for. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. I pulled it up for the EOS. Uh, they said there's five leadership abilities and number one is simplify. And number two is delegate. Just so you're, there you go. Well, at least I'm focused in the right yeah, area. Exactly. <laughs> totally. Right. After that, then you need to be able to predict it says, uh, so we'll let's work on the first two and then we'll move into predict before we move into the last three. Yeah. Well, you said to me, um, a few times in the, uh, this year, you were like, cause you, I think could see it on my face. I know, I know you can better than anybody when I'm stressed, you know, let's remind ourselves of, of what success looks like for the company this year mm -hmm. in terms of profit, um, which is a natural place to go. It's like, if we're pacing here, you know, you, you should be able to sleep mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'm working on that. And then I thought about that. It's like, can I apply that to each one of my direct reports where there's, there's some level of performance mm -hmm. that means I can sleep at night. And we kind of have that back to those outcomes and those one numbers, but I, but it wasn't enough for me. And, and 
and with some individuals, they have a, there's a, a pretty robust combination of responsibilities. And I struggle with saying it's just that one thing that I'll be measuring you this year on. Well, I would argue maybe it comes back to uh, one good planning and sign off. So if at the beginning of the year they say, this is what I'll be happy to achieve this year in my department, and you give them a pat on the back and say, kick ass, let's go get it, right? Then you're basically agreeing to that plan. Then mid-year, you come, you know, you come swooping in and you're like, how come you didn't you know, do this thing? And they're like, well, hey, remember we talked about this. This is my annual plan and I'm on track. I'm proud of that. So they have to have the confidence to stand up and say, don't forget my plan mm-hmm, and not get mm-hmm. taken off track about their plan because – you know, you come in with a, some sort of brainstorm or something. So that would be back to all of us. Like, um, I mean, you, you often talk about managing up. That would be like, how can folks better manage up and help remind when someone gets off track? Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that would be my answer to that. What about, um, you mentioned uh, before we started recording, moving targets. So like, I totally, I think, I think we're on to something here. I think it would be healthy for like everyone that you work with to, for, or I work with whoever that you, that reports to you knowing like, okay, what is a good year going to look like so that you can tell if they're on track, off track, then empowering them to say, Hey, don't forget, this was my plan and I'm on track, you know, pending some world changing event. Now we have a, a sit down to reevaluate the year's goals, but um, moving targets for us have been huge because we, because we are growing so fast and often outpacing our own predictions here. Cause mm-hmm. we like to, not sandbag, but we like to be very realistic in case worse, worst case happens and we blow it out. But that then means moving targets. So how do we get settled with delegating, but yet, you know, moving targets and then not letting people think the, the rugs been pulled out from under them or seasickness or. Well, I think it, you know, we use as everybody would know if they've listened to this podcast for very long that we, we are on that EOS system and, you know, there's a weekly scorecard. They also offer monthly and then you have your annual goals. But uh, the weekly and the monthly scorecard, I think, is where you know when it's time to move the, the post, so to speak. If you've created too much of a layup or you've been too conservative, you know, we call that out just like we do when we've been too too aggressive. And so I'll just use a simple example um, with our, our social engagement Uh, metrics you know we were running on whatever percent it was for a while and we were just smashing that Mm -hmm. and i didn't think it was appropriate to wait 12 or whatever wherever we were eight more months before we said okay come on uh we need to we need to move that um so i think you know that that's simple in some areas and it's a little bit more complicated in others depending on how many variables are drawing driving that that's where i think you get some pushback sometimes from people as far as how much they can control versus you know is uncontrolled related to that that kind of stuff yeah i think one those scorecards sorry i know one of the areas i'm i need to improve on is recognizing someone's win and letting it sit for a minute or even a week or two before I come back and ask for more. Cause it's like a give a mouse a cookie situation where someone impresses me, I get pumped and I immediately say, and what if we go to the moon? Right. Like, and that doesn't allow, let them bask in their win for any amount of time. And then it starts to make them feel like nothing's ever good enough for me. So I could see that being one of these areas where um, let's say that you move social engagement from, I think it was like 2% and we were doing like 5%. So now it's like, do you stretch it and say, now our new goal is six, or is it actually more of like, Hey, 
our, our new goal is four because we're doubling the old one. You're already winning. We're not raising the bar on you. We're not penalizing you for, because what you don't want to do is have someone start sandbagging their goals because you, they know that you're just going to come over the top and go higher. Um, so yeah, what do you think? How do you think about that? Cause I, well, um, maybe it's too convenient, but you know, again, we're running on EOS, which is a 90 day world. Uh, is that the appropriate time for most, maybe not all metrics, but to be looking at those and saying, you know, should we, should we stay here or should we adjust? Um, I definitely think each year you should be looking at those things and you want that buy-in to your point. So you don't have somebody that's like, David's always looking to change that number. So just, are we in agreement that every six months or every 90 days, um, or is this a 12 month metric, you know, before we would reevaluate it? I think for the enterprise, meaning like the whole company, those need to be, you know, less frequent. Otherwise people are going to get seasick and definitely get frustrated. So the biggest one for us that we've talked about, it feels like for three or four years now is, you know, that output with the, the agency on how many accounts per mm -hmm. FTE. Mm -hmm. And we, have not officially moved that post since I don't even know when, meaning that we came and said, this is the new expectation. It's more just to been encouraging and challenging them to, to continue to work smarter, not harder and use the technology and automation that we're building to get there. Um, but we're on the verge of, you know, providing new expectations. And I think that's almost overdue. In fact, I do think it's overdue. Um, but I wouldn't come back then six months later and go, Hey guys, mm -hmm. I'm back. You know, you're crushing it. Let's do it again. You know? Mm -hmm. So I think I would be there with my box of cookies using your analogy, <laughs> handing those out for at least a year yeah, and then say, okay, should we rethink this? So yeah. yeah, you can wear people down. Certainly if you're always moving those posts. That one I think is really interesting and does um, handle this whole letting go of the vine and elevate delegate. So at the beginning of the year, we set a goal of getting to 92 accounts. Yeah. Well, no, it was 92. Oh, this okay. is the, this is the thing. So then right. Ryan remodeled some stuff and then said to the team, it's 94. And they're like, well, well, hold on. We have records showing we agreed to 92 for the year. We have documentation. I know. I know. So that's good. Right. It's like, Hey, I'm glad you know your goal. Yeah. But then the conversation was like, well, should we go to 96? It's like, well, we already said it. <laughs> it's like this. Uh, it's like, mm -hmm. we can't wait the year. That's mm -hmm. us stopping ourselves. So that mm -hmm. would be like now on those, um, uh, department heads to say, Hey, you know, you know, we'll see what I can do, but I committed to 92 mm -hmm. and I'll get you there. Right. And now to what you're saying is, um, Hey, what if we spot opportunity to also blow past 92? Should we not like lean into that? And it, and at that point it could be like, let's lean into it. We won't penalize you cause you don't get to a hundred, mm -hmm. but let's, um, but let's, let's go for it. And, now that's where it's the whole intrinsic extrinsic motivation. Now do we like give them a prize to go for? Cause we learned that that now encourages the wrong behavior, right? From uh, the Daniel Pink's book right, drive. Right. So instead I think it's more, it just gotta be celebratory. Like this is, you know, we're all in this together. Let's see if we can get there, but we have to maintain our still our quality standards or, you know, X, Y, Z. And then we like, in this case, you and me with letting go of the vine have to be like, okay, great. You hit the 92 that we agreed to. Uh, but we have to be okay if you don't get to the hundred in this mm -hmm. case, right? Mm -hmm. Because we're letting them, you know, we have to delegate. Yeah. Well, I think uh, what is a, I hope it's not just us. And I understand why we took this approach and why I believe many companies take this approach, but they build their operating, you know, uh, kind of code and procedures and expectations around averages. Yeah. And 
if you do that, you know, one of my favorite phrases is self-fulfilling prophecy, but aren't you going to remain average if that's how you build out your company? And so I am wanting to take right now, you know, specifically with those accounts, the top third, because it's just hard to digest that, you know, you have several people, not one, especially with larger companies, Mm -hmm. which I think we're going to get to a little bit there Mm -hmm. as far as, you know, what that looks like when you're talking about really scaling with hundreds, if not thousands of employees. But how are they approaching that when it comes to expectations? Do they take the 50% and that's, that's how it's built, which would seem insane, you know, truly insane to me because you could end up with a quarter of, you know, a division of the company that is easily outperforming Mm -hmm. that average. And yet you're still holding them Mm -hmm. to the average. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't make sense. You know, it's so fascinating. So my Lyft driver, so we, we uh, had our offsite in Boulder for leadership training, whatever, a month ago, I had to take a lift back to Bailey. So I was like, this will be interesting. I actually got one. I was surprised. Uh, But so that's like an hour and a half drive. And he was, um, he just immediately started talking to me about his other job where he works in, um, it's like a horse trailer manufacturing. Basically, they're the, they're like one of the biggest companies that makes those horse trailers that transport cattle and stuff. Anyways, he, he was saying our department has been crushing it for seven years. He said, we, we have not had any injuries. We are coming in um, under our waste budget and we are more profitable than, than whatever. However, we have not gotten a raise in these seven years. And we also haven't been getting any incentives or congratulations. He's like, however, we're looking at other departments that have been struggling that are getting these carrots thrown in front of them. So it's like, hey, sales, you're, you're not meeting expectations. If you do, we'll give you this trip or whatever. We'll give you this raise. And so it's backfiring on this company because their department that is like super stable or whatever is like steady as she goes doing a great job is not getting the rewards. They're trying to shore up the departments that are struggling and by offering other, other perks and stuff. And yet it's making this department like really sour. And he's talking about like walking. Um, So I just think it's, it's like this. Well, it's demoralizing, you know, and we hear that too. And most people that have been in management, you know, have understand that, that your top producers want to be with other top producers. And when they see the bottom, you know, uh, whatever that, that sounds extreme, but you know, the less, uh, lower performing mm-hmm. individuals getting coddled or rewarded, not being held accountable, um, that angers them. And many times it ends up one of the reasons that they churn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he, um, specifically, um, I'll actually go to this cause it kind of fits with elevate and delegate. They, uh, he had mentioned that it was, um, the person that took over the department was, a like a family friend or whatever. The, and that person was doing a terrible job, um, being like running the department. However, his team was so experienced, it still made them look good. And one of the things was this person was going to go on like a, like a six week long sabbatical or something. And the team said, you know what, let's kick ass during this six weeks to show, you know, corporate that we don't need this person here because, you know, then maybe they'll, they'll get us an, an actual leader. Mm-hmm. And of course it only, all it did was make it look like that leader kicked ass. Cause it's like, Oh, you, you know, um, your team's performing stupendously. Uh, so it almost was like, they thought they were going to be hurting that leader by like outperforming when she wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But anyway, so I, uh, this does take us into the big business conversation back to elevating, delegating, letting go of the vine. I was telling you, uh, ahead of time that, um, you know, we've, we've both worked in big companies and 
uh, yet the overall thing is like, well, Walmart has more efficiency than anybody. So that's why their profits are better than like the mom and pop store. However, as you get all of these layers of management and then as it's 80% less effective, like from how Sam Walton would have done it, don't you end up becoming less efficient, you know, as, as you get big or in many cases. And so I'm curious about how, I don't know, how that strikes you. And if you think that's kind of like a fault, that's a falsehood, I guess, but, or if there's anything to that and then how you would think about how, like how letting goes. Well, the way that I would evaluate that as a larger corporation, and to some degree, I'm trying to apply this now at Digible as we grow is challenge each hire, question each hire from a profitability standpoint. And I know that might, you know, for some people be a bit of a turnoff. It's like, and we're not turning this company truly into, you know, uh, where we're consumed by one thing, which is EBITDA or profit. But I think there's just a natural obligation and healthiness to, to doing that. So we're be more specific. One of the hires that you're, you're looking for right now is or a couple of the product designer and product manager. And if you weren't questioned, we didn't scrutinize that we could end up just hiring that feeling better, but not really thinking about in terms of how much efficiency did we gain or, mm -hmm. or did we lose? So if you're a much larger company and you just are like, well, naturally we need to be building out this division of the company and it's more of a cost center. So we're not going to treat it with the same level of scrutiny that we would over here where we're really going to ROI that out. That to me is where you can quickly have this compounding inefficiency even though you have great technology, you have people that are, you know, pure purists, like in, in roles that smaller companies can't afford, don't you have to look at it at the bottom line and be like, okay, we just made as Walmart this enormous investment, right? And from a percentage standpoint, we actually have gone backwards over the last 10 years on our profitability. Um, it, it's not that simple, but yeah, do yeah, you yeah. follow where I'm going? Like, I do. I just, it's isn't almost, that the best way to know whether you're in fact, as a larger or smaller company, really improving efficiency? Yes, but, and <laughs> right. I, I think it's like when you, when you used to look at any individual search campaign, uh, you used to, uh, you know, there's all these excuses or whatever with just something small, a $1,500 budget about like, well, how much is seasonality? How much is like, were they running the same concessions last year? It's like, there's all these factors that are contributing. So just because you add a department or whatever, it's really hard to now say, that's why we're winning or losing on EBITDA because of all the factors. Mm -hmm. So I, I view it more about ownership. Um, you know, I'm super hot on this right now, but uh, it's just like, okay, um, hey, we're going to develop new technology. Don't we need an owner for that product? It's like, yes, okay, great. Now, what? how do we measure success of that owner to know if they're like hitting expectations or not? Because if you got big enough, you might have a person that owns um, janitorial services, right? And, you know, it, you need to know how do we know if the if janitorial services is doing a great job or not a great job. And then that's the only way I can think about it is if you don't have ownership and it's more of this like, well, they'll kind of help out here, the account coordinators, right? Mm -hmm. They'll kind of help out here. They'll kind of help out there. Mm -hmm. It's like, but what are they owning? And when can you know if they made the mistake or the AM made the mistake or whoever, right? So for me, my answer is as long as there's a clear ownership for that position, then you can measure against, you know, your expectations that you set with the job rec. Uh, and then you can evaluate, do we still need that position or not? Yeah. I just think that 
I don't know if that works. Like, could would scale with your Walmart comparison? Um, I feel like you can mass some things. And I'm still speaking specifically about efficiency. You know, by saying, "Well, you clearly own that," but are we actually more efficient as an enterprise just because mm-hmm. we have somebody owning that piece? Um, and I'm going to contradict myself just a tiny bit here. Uh, coming back to opportunity cost, I would love to know how Walmart looks at that, mm-hmm. at that scale, mm-hmm. you know, where it's like, okay, we have ownership. Um, our profitability has improved. Where does that fall? And it's so much easier and it's still hard to get at with digital size of, you know, close to 90 people. But it's still hard for us to really size that opportunity cost. But damn, if you were thousands, if not, you know, tens yeah. of thousands of employees, how how do you look at that? And it's back to elevate, delegate, letting go of the vine. You as CEO, if you were CEO of Walmart, you can't dive in and say, hey, whoa, whoa, we never had this. Um, what did we uh, shoot? What is Kristen's new position? Kristen McCormick. Project manager. It's not implementation project. manager. No. Delivery manager. Yes. Nailed it. <laughs> Where's my applause? Come on. Going to get back on track with those drops. Um, I was going to do it when you did the mouse as a cookie, but you keep the control panel deliberately yeah. out of my arms yeah. length so that yeah. I can't bomb you. Um, so Kristen, like we, that kind of like came across, you know, quickly and we did it. And I don't know what her success metrics look like, but I know that it's working. Mm. So that's the problem. It's like, uh, now if we're not careful with that, it's like you give, a department some rope and you could have a bunch of folks like that so instead it's now we have to make sure that i guess you as ceo and then as tech reporting to you at some point you have to say like hey do you do you have the what success looks like for that position so because we know it's working i just know from like like working with her and that team more it feels more organized but i couldn't say why mm-hmm. it's working um and if you want each department which you do like back to if we're really delegating and letting go of the vine you have to let each department like you know, advocate for itself, build itself out into the way it needs to be built out, following certain rules and structures and paradigms. But definitely as you get more and more removed and as you have a thousand employees, right? That it it definitely is harder to know like, shoot, it, is there compliance here on that delivery manager position? Is is it all clear or not clear? Totally. And Kristen is a great example. I think it's only been a month, month and a half, and we're already asking ourselves what how how did we exist without Kristen? Yeah. I'm not trying to be too exaggerate too much but she she has brought that kind of instant impact and um and i think also psychologically you know just mm-hmm. elevated everybody which is so great to see but then that can mask you know some problems that right. you know should have been addressed still you know still need to be addressed um because she's so effective at 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 this job of you know delivery manager. And I just remember at the post, we had a couple of those individuals I will not name, but you know, that I felt like, you know, quickly we're seen that way where it's like, God, you know, they are so valuable. How could we exist without them? I used to ask some of our employees in those first few years, how can you use data and technology to improve your performance and efficiency? You know, do not go a few months without asking yourself that question. And we were at a size where we could do that. And sometimes we got some interesting thoughts and responses back and sometimes we didn't. But um, at this stage on this thread, you know, would it be a more interesting question to ask, what would it take to replace 
your role or not replace, but um, make your role obsolete. You know, if I asked Kristen that, what would it take? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, pretty freaky, you know, question coming, I'll say from me, but it'd be really fascinating because you and I have said one of our roles, uh, our missions, I should say, not roles, is to make ourselves irrelevant, right? Mm-hmm. In running mm-hmm. this business. Mm-hmm. Um, and isn't that on some level what we want from from anybody in the organization and not as, you know, again, intimidating, threatening, dystopian, you know, that kind of stuff. But it's like, this is how we're going to keep growing is keep challenging ourselves and trying to find ways, you know, to be more efficient. I know we're getting off the train of elevate and delegate, but. um, Well, now I want to like switch a little bit more to back to big business. I know you and I have had some complaints with different large organizations we've been a part of. I'd say building our company. I'm glad that, um, I had corporate experience before building because I got to see what problems stack up and I was kind of aware what can happen when you have a, you know, a, a much larger company. And so we've been able to try to build systems to prevent that. However, as we continue to grow faster, I can see how you can sort of get complacent or lazy about it and be like, not the biggest fire right now. And then you turn into the big, mm-hmm. the big com- lumbering company. So, uh, on the letting go of the vine, I guess, does that help give you perspective now about how some things happen the way they happened at the post or, you know, wherever Cox media, uh, and then, uh, to your point on like those invaluable people, I guess, like, well, I guess just how does that make you, how would that have made you think differently? Had you had this experience now going back there or, um, I guess, how much do we just start accepting back to um, like now we see why that happened and maybe you weren't, I wasn't aware of like how this came to be and the way it came to be. So maybe I'll stick on the acceptance because I think that's where it goes into the letting go of the vine, right? Is that you have to be okay with, it's not going to be as good or we have to be okay with that, right? And then um, I guess, how do we then like live happily ever after, like knowing that like, well, it could have been better or, you know, if. Yeah, that's super tough, especially I think for founders. I think my acceptance or tolerance level here is is definitely lower, not higher as a result of me working at some of those larger companies. And the reason I say that is because we are controlling things for the most part. Mm-hmm. We're building things out. And you know, the previous jobs I had leading up to this, it was always inheriting, whether it was the staff, whether it was systems, whether, you know, it was operating procedures, etc. So unwinding that, you know, was 10 times as hard as building it out. Um, but uh, there, that being said, there's definitely some examples of, of things that I saw, you know, you mentioned the post or Cox media group that, that are starting to happen here um, that are fires that I'm letting go of uh, begrudgingly um, that could end up really being uh, <laughs> a thorn in my side uh, or whatever. Um, an antagonist, uh, you know, the further we get. Yeah, I get what you're saying. It's like if we had a board of advisors or some PE firm or whatever turning the screws on us, we almost have an excuse to be like, hey, sorry, we've got to eliminate these roles or no, you can't get that or whatever, right? Like, uh, but that also means you're in less control of like the destiny here since we have none of that on purpose. Now it, it we have an elevated um you know, sense of what it could be. And Hey, we're in charge, uh, for example. Right. So then we can fix anything can be fixed because we say, Hey, go fix it. Mm -hmm. Um, but then to your point, like how, uh, or I guess the question I was asking is how, how do we remain happily ever after? Because that is where both you and I as high challenge people 
struggle. And I feel like that's a back to flywheel. That's the negative flywheel <laughs> because these like little things uh, at the beginning, like slowly pile up and pile up until like that negative reinforcement flywheel is like almost impossible to stop the momentum of, at least I find that personally. Yeah, definitely. Well, um, bringing it back a little bit to where we, we kind of started. Um, I think another challenge with letting go of the vine and elevating delegating is to know how long um, to give somebody that you've promoted or you're trying to level up uh, because everybody that's been in the workforce for a minute knows that the next job they took, they probably weren't fully qualified for. Um, and when I say that, I, meaning how could they have mastered it if it was the next, next level right, up? Right, right. And so we've said that when we think about, is it time, you know, to give somebody that opportunity that they need to already have one third of that new jobs expectations locked down. Otherwise right. that's going to be a disaster and they probably need to be, you know, comfortable and high probability with another third of those responsibilities. And then we understand that there's a third of that, that is just going to require time and development. Um, and so that makes it a little tricky sometimes though, to say, okay, well, if two thirds of the job, this is what we understood how long do I give right. them before they level up? Um, and you know, very difficult uh, conversation to have uh, the further you get into it, if you realize that it's not happening or it's mm -hmm. like, I did bet on you, I gave you this opportunity, mm -hmm. but that mm -hmm. third that we, we expected or thought you would grow into you just not. And then is that person completely displaced and, it's expensive, frankly, if you do that, because you're losing all this, you know, corporate institution or whatever institutional knowledge, not corporate. Um, you know, if, mm -hmm. if you make, you know, the decision to, to move on or find somebody else, you know, uh, whether it's the outside or the inside. And I think that's where back to getting uh, just and this thread on a Walmart. It's like, think of the compounded effect of that you know, that scenario, mm -hmm. because for us, it happens still in isolation. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't have 50 promotions every, mm -hmm. every week. Walmart probably is going through, you know, 500, you know, a day. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, and the, back to moving target, Walmart, last I looked into it, they were growing at like one or 2% a year, whereas we're doubling year mm -hmm. over year. Mm -hmm. And so what you hired them for where they had the one third they could do, now maybe there's none that they had experience doing right because you doubled within 12 months so right. then that makes it really challenging so then do you do you have to go hire out and hire someone that's already done it before but in that case how do you then motivate them um because most people as you said everyone we ever hire is like i just want growth i want new opportunity never are they like hey i want to like sort of like chillax for a bit right and so if they've done it before they have to then instead be almost like i love building teams from scratch for example. And it's mm -hmm. like, and I've done it before. And Hey, once I put, once I build this team from two people to 20 people, I'm going to be out of here because I, I don't like just operating. And so those are very special, you know, placements, right. Mm -hmm. At that point. And we have to then be, I guess, deliberate and maybe move away from this third, a third, a third. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely tough, but I, I appreciate it. And I think we have made strides, but it's, it's what you're saying is like, how how much is good enough? What can I personally accept? So even as I move away from these departments and I see hires coming in where it's like, well, they're, they're not someone that said they wanted to build a team from two to 20. Uh, Got to let it go, right? To mm -hmm. Back to like uh, the vine. So. 
Well, I was telling you, I think about this Gottman framework for relationships, uh, extremely well known, um, primarily focused, I think, at, uh, you know, marriages, and I'm okay saying that, <laughs> uh, but also just uh, working relationships. And um, they uh, really hit this like one eye trust versus blind trust. I think it, it originates uh, from this Gottman framework, but where you're willing to have blind trust, which is I'm not, I'm not going to follow up. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not going to spend time there. I can't spend time there. And Victor kind of brought this up when we were out in Boulder about how do you know, like, right, right, right. you know, and, you know, at the end of the day, you cannot, you might as well not have that job if you're having to monitor every single action. Right. Um, but the one I trust is like, I also think there's limitations to how much you can apply that, which is I am going to have some visibility, um, but I'm mostly going to, going to trust you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, uh, where we're, we're trying to strike that balance right now ourselves of where do we still allow for blind trust as we're letting go of the vine, elegate, elevating and delegating, and where are we trying to maintain one-eyed trust? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that gradient looks a little different, frankly, uh, you know, for, for each, each leader here in each division. Um, but it's just so important that you, you establish that, or it's like, I am not, I'm not going to think I'm not going to like lose sleep, monitor this part of your business, but here is where you're going to have that second set of eyes, potentially a third set of eyes. Yeah. It's sort of a couple things that that elicited for me. One was, um, you always talked about in the book, speed, speed of trust, speed to trust, uh, speed of trust, I think. Okay. Yeah, well, speed that, of trust. That, it's like it takes forever to build it, but you lose it in an instant. So if you're doing the, whether it's blind or one eyed, as soon as someone doesn't follow through, that deposit, it's like your Mortal Kombat health bar or whatever, like completely goes down, and we mm-hmm. don't have a good sense of how to build it back up or where anybody sits in that in that health bar. Mm-hmm. And then um, um, one thing I had found really effective before was, uh, and I was doing this with big product. Uh, projects. Like I was just saying, okay, I accept that this thing is broken and I'll revisit it in Q3. And I was telling myself that that way I could let it go. I could be like, you're accepting it's broken and it can't be fixed now because you're working on this. Where I don't do as well with that is I haven't picked up the practice of personally doing that with smaller decisions or things where it's almost like a, like I have my elegate and delegate, delegate, (laughs) elevate. Yeah. No, no. I'm running out of caffeine or something, but I have that chart that I do every quarter. And I, and I even just went through it today to make sure I'd gotten almost everything done, but I'm not doing that with what am I accepting to let burn? So I almost need that. Like, these are the things you've noticed, but it's, you know, it's cool because you're focused here. Mm-hmm. I do that somewhat with issues. Like one, I find emotionally, once I add uh, an issue to our EOS meeting, even if it's long-term and we're not going to get to it for six months, I feel like I've put it down somewhere and that's okay. But I'm just saying I, I personally could get in a better practice of recognizing those things and say, hey, David, you accept that that's the way it is and then move on for now. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a good way of thinking later. about it. Well, anything else before we wrap up? No, I don't think so. Uh, you know, love to bring on Courtney, our new director of employee experience, uh, to get her thoughts on this. Uh, I think over... The next several months, we're going to have kind of a, a balance of this where you and I uh, uh, do our thing, you know, riff here and then, uh, but also bring on some of, some of these strategic hires, you know, that we were talking about 
and get their their take on some of these subjects. But Courtney's great. She you know comes with a lot of HR experience and certainly you know big focus of, uh, is developing leaders. Mm-hmm. And so how she uh, you know I guess interprets this whole elevate and delegate. Totally. I, uh, I actually, I just thought of a couple others that I want to do with her as well. So I'll have to make sure she gets on the schedule for several different sessions. Yeah, she's great. Um, but anyways, this was, this was fun. But uh, I don't know if our profits gone up yet since she started two weeks ago. So yeah. I might be questioning the efficiency of that hire. <laughs> <laughs> well, I enjoy some of these when we're like working through it in the, in the, midst of it and then see how that changes like six months from now mm-hmm. it's definitely that is one thing i also as maybe you noticed but last week i was able to keep a really positive attitude and it was just like every meeting i was writing down or telling myself what like what incremental progress we made uh so that i could stay positive even though there's a lot of stuff happening that isn't the way i would want it to be happening and some of that came from the tacos that you had mentioned like i'm sending out gratitude tacos uh, almost every day now. And it's because I'm trying to write down like, Hey, this was the incremental progress bar. And that helped me personally stay more positive throughout last week. So, yeah, yeah. that's awesome. I'm going to try and borrow some of that from you over the next few weeks. Yeah. Tacos. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening. Hope you got something out of it.